COP26 may be over, but the conversation has only just begun. And for this podcast, I'll be inviting the stakeholders, firms and organisations that innovate, inspire and encourage small sustainable steps to drive a positive legacy on the road to 2030. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eddie Black, who is the Managing Director of Eco Group. Um, Eddie, it's great to have you with us on the show today, uh, and thank you for taking some time out what is a very busy diary. Um, Eddie, you've had a kind of very, very varied career so far, um, so would you like to give the audience a bit of flavour about your journey to date? Um, yeah, uh, great to meet you, Mark. Um, thank you for having me. Um, my background, well, my background is um, I spent 20 years at sea, well, almost 20 years at sea as a... As a as a trawlerman, first and foremost, and then uh, I ended up being a skipper for probably the most of my career, so probably 12 to 14 years as a skipper, skippering fishing vessels all over the UK and um, and sometimes into um, Europe as well. So, uh, yes, uh, I wasn't much on the... I wasn't here much in dry land, so spent an awful lot of time out in the water, so... Yeah, no, interesting Eddie as well, and it, I suppose as well, your your kind of your role now at Eco Group. What did you take from that kind of life and the experiences you had at sea into the kind of current role, if you like? Um, and what kind of lessons did you learn? I suppose. I think well, it's quite a harsh environment. It's quite a hard job. Um, you're away from your family. You've got a lot of decisions that make to make when you know. You know, doing the job I do now, none of the decisions I make now will ever put anybody's life in, at risk where if you make the wrong decision at sea, you know, some of these decisions you make out there, are, they are life, you know, life decisions, you know, the safety and the, um, so it, it's a completely different mindset. But what it does do is it makes you very decisive, makes you make decisions very quickly, it makes you, you know, think around a problem very quickly. Um, and I think that's led on to what I do now. So, you know, not just for my own business, but what I do for my clients. So if my clients have got a problem, I've got a problem. Um, I use that kind of, I think it's embedded in me and I've just not got an ability not to look at anything. I don't look at anything with, with any sort of risk factor. I just look at, look at things and just weigh them up for what they are. And then I'll basically make a decision. So again, I think it's really, really helped me for um, for who I've become as uh, become as a businessman, or a, or an entrepreneur, or whatever you want to class me as. I'm not sure what it is, but um, I do think it's shaped the way I, I operate. Um, I had to change when I became a businessman because obviously, you know, the management style when you're dealing with. Uh, fishermen's a completely different management style when you come into this environment where it's a lot less, let's say, you've got to be a little bit more tactile. So I've gone along a uh, steep learning curve as well that, you know, um, but fishing, fishing taught you a lot of things. I mean, fishing taught you, you know, you had to do everything out there. So if something was broken, you know, you learn to fix things over a phone when an engineer or you would... You know, even if it came down to the television not working, you would end up trying to fix that as well. So it was, it was an interesting career, and it was an inter- and I, I loved it, and it served a purpose. But it's not one I wanted to do 
into my 40s and 50s because it was just so brutal. Um, making a cup of tea in stormy weather for a kickoff was was hard enough. Never mind doing the job. So, but um, it it definitely has shaped the way I do business and shaped the way how agile I am. And 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 I think the most important factor is that if a decision needs made, whether it's a tough decision, an easy decision, it gets made and it gets implemented. So um, I don't have much patience for just standing about and doing nothing. So. It's, uh, yeah, no, no. I think that's important as well, Eddie. And, and in terms of the eco journey and the, your kind of role to MD, how did how did that come about as well? And what is the because obviously eco, you know, you, there's a few different aspects to your business as well, and it'd be interesting to hear some of the some of the different kind of components of that, and then also the the sustainability piece as well, which I know has really grown arms and legs for you guys over the last kind of year to eighteen months. Well, the eco the eco journey started. By a mistake, if I'm honest, um, we bought a. Um, I had a reasonable living when I was a fisherman, but you know, kids were getting older, so we started a franchise. Oh God, must have been 2008, and let's just say that it didn't go too well. Um, I ended up walking away from the investment, and just to show how decisive I was, I was that angry about that that I just jacked my job in as well at the same time, and decided that you know one of the processes that I found from the previous you know I was uh, again my wife run the franchise um, which we invested quite heavily in um, and she was doing a lot of kitchen cleaning at the time and it was really really hard work so I decided to look for a process that would remove do what I do on the, on the boats you know look for a process that'll take the the manual labor out of it and and make the job easier and I came across dry ice cleaning and was fast forward a little bit um i decided to jack my job in i, I walked away from that we walked, we both walked away from the franchise lost a lot of money a lot of savings um and then we start i basically jacked my job in at the same time and i thought you know what i love this dry ice cleaning i'm gonna give it a year see what happens and then um so I, yeah, my, my eco journey started as an accident. So ecogenics was created. So it was actually my wife came up with a with a name. So it's a cryogenic cleaning process, and it's eco friendly. So she called it ecogenics. Um, at the time, sustainability wasn't really on my radar, if I'm honest. Um, but what I do believe in is if if you can see it, you can maintain it. So using the driest cleaning process that we had, um, we were quite successful in getting into uh, some really blue chip companies quite quickly. So that what turned out to be a disaster ended up starting something that was, which has led on to today. So um, it all started from driest cleaning and basically now we see ourselves as just a problem solver. That's, that's all we do, you know, or a solution finder or, you know, so that's why the companies grew to be quite diverse. Um, and obviously the biggest problem we've got now is sustainability and net zero. So it's a natural path for us. So 10 years ago, we started a company called Eco and it's it's kind of stuck with us. And it means that we've got quite a, quite a um, bold brand that we've got to follow on and actually live up to that name. So um, it, but to get to where we are has basically been a step-by-step step where 
it's been client driven. So if a client needed something, generally speaking, it would be me. They would phone at two o'clock in the morning. Generally, they'd be in trouble. I would help them out with that trouble. And then eventually I just thought, you know what? I get called that often. Some of these tasks we may as well take on ourselves. Yeah. So it, the, the business model for us at that point was then, so if we looked at a client, how can we, how can a client come at one point of contact and basically take a pill for every headache that they've got? So we're probably the anodyne of the, the business world for some of our clients. That's, and, that's we take, and we just take headaches away. So that's probably yeah. the best description I can give. Yeah, no, definitely, Eddie. I mean, in terms of the sustainability piece, that, that's quite an interesting kind of insight there that when you kind of started off, and I, I don't think you would have been unique as such, Eddie, like, you know, sort of 10, 15 years ago thinking, you know, sustainability, what, what is this and whatnot. When would you say that the kind of the light started turning on for you or when did you really start seeing it ramp up? Because obviously you mentioned about the dry ice piece, you know, sort of 10 years ago or so, right? And it's obviously that's been a one business opportunity. But right now, you know, it's really has over the last couple of years for you guys and indeed other businesses really exploded. So when did you start to see those kind of changes start to happen and how did you kind of adapt to them? Well, I suppose sustainability became, it, it became quite high on the agenda because as a company, one thing we've done really, really well, and I think it's, um, got us to this point. Even even at the earliest point when we were a company, we put policies in place. Even when we didn't need to, so even when we only had two and three employees at the time, we put policies in place. And sustainability was on there. It just wasn't expanded upon. So I suppose it's been a gradual learning curve, um, and a, a, and we've added to it time and time and time again. But I, I would say, um. To say it became high profiles probably three or four years ago. And basically, again, um, it was in line with corporate social responsibility at the same time. So we looked at the two things and thought, you know what, we've got CSR to think about, plus we've got sustainability. Um, that that meant we started to look at charities. How do we give back? How do we give some more profits back to, you know, like do business for good? You know, we went down that channel with the employees and made them make choices for charities. And, you know, sustainability became a thing that we, we talked about in the business. Um, and probably for the last three years, I've been really focusing on how do we um, how do we make a, a suite of solutions that we can, again, do the exact same thing as we've done before, have a diverse amount of solutions that can like picking different industries. So say it was waste or say it was construction or say it was uh, decarbonisation or off-grid energy. Um, again, become that pill for the headache that our clients have now got because, you know, it's probably very, very high profile now for a lot of companies. Well, it should be very, very high profile for a lot of companies. Um, and again, we want to be the pill that takes the headache away for them. So if we can go on that client journey for us, it, it gives us a really good business opportunity. It it it, it provides it provides security for the future of the company. So it's again we're we've probably spent three years setting ourselves up for the next five years. Obviously, that's quite difficult at the minute with what's going on. But again, we have settled ourselves down with a you know we have got a plan, we have got a roadmap, um, and we will implement that roadmap. And what we're at the moment, what we're doing at the moment is want to take our clients exactly on the same journey as we are doing. And that way you get maximum buy-in because if you're willing to do it yourself, 
then generally people will, you know, they'll stand stand by it and, and, and go with you on that, as long as they trust you, of course. Yeah, no, I think that's a big thing as well, Eddie, because I think in the net zero and sustainability world, you know, sometimes some businesses and people are a bit uh, sceptical if they see, well, you know, if you're not walking the walk, then why should we necessarily walk the walk, you know? Um, I just wanted to, I know you were, you had a few things on at COP, Eddie, and you, you know, you had a few kind of bits and bobs as well, and, you know, I just wanted to briefly turn to kind of some reflections on that, because... Um, just for the audience as well, you know, Eddie, obviously you guys have got your base in the sort of south of Scotland and indeed kind of Carlisle as well. Um, how did you find the kind of, I guess, the atmosphere in Glasgow and what were kind of some of the, the takeaways that you had from the kind of uh, the few days that you were up and whatnot? Um, it, was a, it was a privilege to be asked to go and uh, be part of the, the panel. I was quite inspired actually because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to see because you hear a lot of talk and you don't see a lot of action and you know and to be honest with you I was, I was kind of going up a little bit skeptical but what I did when I came away from it and um, the people I've met for a kickoff and the people that were engaged in it I've all kept in touch we've all continued that journey we've all you know it's a constant thing now so what's become really apparent is there is there is a bit of a movement starting and there is a real, you know, people that are really, really genuinely um, looking to make a difference in the future for their businesses and to make money. And it's not a dirty yeah. word. Um, it, it is the thing that they need to... Um, the people that were there are genuinely looking to um, future-proof their businesses. And it was really interesting to hear some, some other people's journeys and how they've, you know how early they've started actually and how far ahead they are of the game and that was probably something I learned was you know what, whether it's by accident or whether it's not by accident by doing the work now probably in two or three years time we will be five years ahead of a lot of companies which means it's good for our employees, it's good for our business, it's good for the region, it's good for uh, economical impact Um so again, it's good to it's good to see and hear people that have actually done the same thing and, and decided, you know what, let's not just dip our toe in the water. They've actually jumped in with two feet and just gone, let's go for it. And I think that was really refreshing for me. Um, and it, one of the things I was trying to say at court was the opportunity is massive. And I think people need to get their head around that. I think, you know... I, We've heard thing. We've been. We've had things said as a you know from the cop thing that you know you're profiteering. I mean, profiteering is a really dirty word to me. Um, I, I'd rather class it as op, I'm an opportunist rather than a, a profiteer. And you know, I said to one guy that you know that's like me sitting next to Elon Musk and being jealous. The guy was the guy's miles ahead of anybody. So how can you be? You know, you've just got to sometimes just applaud and take your hat off to people. And you know. And not worry about what else is happening. You've just got to focus on what you want to do, what you want to do for your company, what you want to do for your the people within your business, your clients that are around about you. And um, I think the fact is that there's a, a saying, your vibe attracts your tribe. And I think we're actually going through that at the moment. So everybody we are kind of connected with is basically involved in the sustainability piece, which is really refreshing for us. So... We know we're dealing with the right people. We know we can make big impacts. And, uh, and COP 
was a big major factor in that. It was a bit of an eye opener. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right as well, Eddie. I mean, I listen. I think the profiteering word is probably a bit strong, but I think that there's a balance to be had in the net zero debate. And I think you know that's probably the one that does need a bit of development. Clearly, as you say. There are a lot of opportunities there for businesses as well, which is an important part of that. Because otherwise, you know, people aren't really going to go on a journey if it's going to you know, have a massive detrimental impact on your business, right? However, what I would say at the same token, and interesting, you mentioned a bit there about the region as well, and I want to come on to that as well. Is do we? Is there a kind of element of we're maybe not being honest about some of the true cost of net zero? So one of the kind of previous episodes with Dieter Helm is. He was sort of saying, like, you know, governments do need to get a bit more realistic and tell people net zero is going to cost you money, right? But it kind of needs to be done, right? And I just wonder, um, quite interesting, the south of Scotland over the last kind of year or so has went through a lot of kind of interesting changes with the new economic development agency. You know, there's a lot more business activity. The economy's become a bit more diverse. But how do we get the kind of farming and agriculture community, how do we get them on board, for example? And how do you see, I guess, your guys' role in that kind of jigsaw in the region? I think it's a good point. It really is a good point. I think for us, we're, we're again, we're quite comfortable with what we've got. Um, and if we're, if we're selfish about it, we've probably got some really neat solutions. But in answer to the money question, if if... Or, or making a profit or generating revenue or it costing you money, that you're right, the government are um, a little bit, uh, I was going to use deluded, but probably deluded is the wrong, the wrong uh, terminology, but it is going to cost people money. There's, there's no two ways about it. And, every, and the reality is people are looking at it like that. That's the biggest, probably one of the biggest barriers. However, one of the pieces is you can have the solution, but what you've got to do, so for our clients, what we want to do is demonstrate what it does for your P&L and what it looks like for the value of your company. So if you understand the whole cycle and the whole circle of it, and you understand you know, what it actually does value-wise, so it's, a, it's, like, it's, not, it's like any other investments. You invest now, you, know, you might not see that return for a year, but in two years, this is what it'll look like, and it's modeling that up. So we've done it for our own business. We know for a fact if we do and implement some of the solutions we've got, the value of our business has got to go up quite substantially. It's not just pennies. So what you've got to try and do is right, yes, it's got to cost you, but it's not it's like any other investment. You've got to you've got to demonstrate if you don't demonstrate there's a value at the end of it, people are just gonna say no. Mm. But if you can demonstrate there's a value at the end of it and actually getting something tangible, it's touchable and you know, it's and, and it's relevant then, you know, why not? And, the other, and we've had people in here, you've got two types of clients. You've got the types of clients that want to do it for doing the right thing. And then you've got the types of clients that really don't care. And that's the reality. But, you know, we could stay away from that type of client. But actually, we see that as a bit of a challenge because the way I see it is if we can demonstrate, if we can change that person's perspective because if money's all the, if, if money is the thing that that they care about and that's it, the be all and end all, then I think it's a good thing how, you know, I've even sat across from them and I'm quite a blunt person when it comes to that. And when they're blunt with me, I'll just be blunt back and I'll say, well, what happens if I can, you buy the product, you do the solution and then we'll demonstrate the value at the end of it. And at the same time, by the way, you're doing something right and you're doing something for the good. There's not really any loss in that. 
is there? It's, it's, it, there's no loss in it. So to me, it's a win-win. And if I can get, if I can turn that one person into a, a bit of a believer and, and change their mindset on it, then they'll probably become your strongest client because all of a sudden you've you've changed their perspective. And listen, I think we're all, you know, I'm a hard person to be sold to. You know, I've got to look into the things and I've got to make sure that what we're buying has got to do what it says in the tin and we've got to get value for money out of it. So I don't expect anybody buying from me to be any different. So, But yeah. I, what I would say is if you can give them the uh, the value piece, and that applies to you try selling to a farmer, so you're on about agriculture down here, they are sceptical, but they're also one of the biggest polluters. So in reality, somebody needs to get through to them. Somebody needs to somebody needs to take them on that journey. And again, I think it's a, I think the fact of the matter is that yeah, we've got a new social uh, uh, you know, you've got Sosi in the south of Scotland, you know, they're a new agency. In fairness to them, they started the they basically started the minute COVID started and the shutdown started. So they've they've had a really hard start to the whole thing. And I, they're probably just kind of getting their, their feet just now. Um but I think it comes down to what you buy or what you're selling. You know, so if even from the agency's perspective or the council or anybody else, they've got to be putting something out there that's relevant. You can't keep giving grants away to the same stuff. You've got to be looking at giving it to things that matter and actually, you know, are aligned with what you're at, you know, the ambitions are for 2045. So again, they've got, I think they've got a bit of a learning curve to go down and they've got a, a massive engagement piece to do with, you know, the, businesses and the agricultural and you know the micro businesses there's a huge huge task for them to engage and actually start to make some relevant um impacts on the region but i do believe um i do believe we're one of the companies that can help help you know take the the region forward because we are a sleeping region there's no two ways about it and um, the, the whole region's sleeping when it comes to sustainability so um, we're very energy rich as a region, but we let all that energy go because there's not uh, there's not the uptake for it. So it's it, there's a lot of opportunity. What we see, we see the we see every uh, problem that's that, that gets put out there in the, in the, the local news and stuff like that. We see it, that as every the biggest opportunities, anyways. Yeah, I think the region as well, Eddie. In, in fairness, I think it's been a it's been an interesting couple of years in terms of looking at how um, government, and public agencies, and whatnot kind of develop the region as well. Because I think for a while it's felt like the south of Scotland, you know, on a few fronts, are kind of cut off from the the rest of Scotland. Whether that's you know transport, whether that's infrastructure. To me, there seems to be a lot of basic foundations that still need to be implemented. And don't get me wrong, I, I think sustainability is actually a core foundation of that as well. Um, 
But as you mentioned there as well, there are a lot of opportunities in the, the region as well. And I think, you know, as part of this journey to net zero, I mean, how important do you think the kind of a regional place and inclusion aspect is as well? You know, we can't just leave regions behind, you know, because I mean, in some ways, you know, the sustainability journey isn't too dissimilar from when they shut down, you know, mining communities and whatnot as well. We can't have, you know, Glasgow and Edinburgh reaching net zero and then like Aberdeen and then the south of Scotland being, you know, still dependent on your know, fossil fuels or, or whatever it may be. So um, how important is we get it right across all of Scotland and the UK and the world and whatnot? See, I think I think that I think this region's got a massive opportunity with that. I think, you know, again, we have we are energy rich. So, you know, from an inward investment point of view, we should be really attractive. To make ourselves relevant, the councils and associate that are going to have to start to buy land and forward forecast land so that the opportunity becomes live right away because at the moment they own nothing and that's the big, probably one of the biggest barriers because we're just not ready. Now, if we're not ready, then uh, the speed of investment that happens now for opportunities, you know, people won't wait. You know, they've not got a year and two years and three years to wait. You know, the action needs to happen now. And from an infrastructure point of view, I've seen a few pieces of of, um, of Gary, who works in is our opportunity strategist, and he does a lot of the um, looking at what's coming next, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we have seen the papers that the government are going to be investing in the Northern Corridor. You know, there's a big opportunity with Ireland, mm. um, and not to mention, you know, our demographics are completely different to everybody else's as well. Because most of the work we do, you know, that imaginary line that crosses the border into England, that's our, you know, we, we trade there all the time, you know, our biggest clients come from there. I can't, you know, when you live on the border, it's very, very, you know, what's happening with talking about independence and stuff, it, it will have a, have a diff, it'll have a different effect here than it will to somebody in Inverness, for instance, you know. So there's, there is a different landscape here and a different demographic that's got to be dealt with, but again, it's, it comes down to that engagement level again. Is you know, you've got to understand what the businesses here need. You've got to understand what agriculture needs, and then you've got to see what inward investment opportunities there is. You know, there's the, there's the the green ports and the you know the free ports at the moment, which is you know Stranraer's right up there with yeah. a chance. And if that happens, then you know, you, you, you know it's a, a massive economic boost for the region. And again, but what we've got to try and do is, at the moment, we, the region's guilty of thinking small and it just thinks small all the time. That's that's what's taught almost. And I think unless you start to think bigger, you know, you've got to create the demand. If you've not got the demand, nobody's got to come, are they? So... No, it's, it's true as well. And I think I think the green ports is an interesting one as well, Eddie. And I suppose that leads nicely on the kind of next subject of doing people and skills in the sense that I think you're absolutely right about the investment piece as well. But as an investor, obviously, you need to kind of look at the landscape that you're investing in, you know, and look, right, OK, is there the right people and skills and universities and colleges? And I think, you know, Certainly in the south, you know, um, I think the colleges in particular have had, um, you know, you know, some real good success stories over the last kind of, kind of couple of years as well. Where do you see the biggest changes needing to take place in the south of Scotland? Kind of skill sets on this net zero journey as well. You know, do we need 
there does there need to be more courses that focus on whether it be kind of leadership you know does it need to be more stuff that focuses on green policy um where, where do you see kind of the, the skill sets need to kind of drive the economy towards uh, 2045 that's an interesting one because we were actually talking about it last week um we were actually talking about the how do we write the job descriptions for the jobs that don't exist yet yeah. So we're kind of doing a bit of an exercise in it ourselves as a company last week. Um, and it was in, it brought up some interesting things. So we were like saying, right, what are the skills for the future? You know, um, you know, we're looking at kind of, we're probably looking system skills, uh, understanding data, um, problem solving is probably another one. Entrepreneurial skills, I think, it's got to be crucial. I think we need to be teaching a lot more of that. Um, I think people need to understand monitoring skills as well, because there's got to be a lot of monitoring jobs where people are monitoring, you know, monitoring systems or monitoring the technology and stuff. But um, resource management's another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we were even looking at some stuff like even the basic skills are going to end up having some complex skills in them as well. So I don't, I think there's a completely different landscape coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to have to look at that for our core businesses at the moment because our core businesses are going to have to go on the same journey as what the future businesses are going to look like as well. So that everything stays, you know, uh, relevant to what we're actually doing now and how we take that into the future. So there's, I think there's a bit of work to do in it. Mm. Um, and again, it's one of these things where I think the college sectors and the, uh, in particular are going to have to um, make some choices and maybe take some risks in regards to what courses they actually go and do and, 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 and or even start to invent. Because mm. some of the, you know, we can't keep going down the same you know, the same courses and the same, you know, the same routes to market or, and the universities are the same, but I think for us as a company, we are very keen to get into schools very early on and then, you know, secondary school very early on, start to show kids that, you know, listen, you know, come up and visit, see the other company, see what we're doing. We want you to stay in the region. We want you to stay here and be educated, you know, or even if you do go away to be, do your university or your college thing somewhere else, you know, come back because there's relevant jobs here for you. Um, but again, we've got to get there first. Yeah, I, and, I, think, I think that's a hard one as well, Eddie, and I think it's, it's really positive what, what you're doing there as well because certainly, I spoke to Gary about this as well, you know, I think one of the challenges probably growing up in the, the region um, is that, you know, a lot of the opportunities for kind of younger people they probably see as being in Glasgow or Edinburgh as well. They they think, I mean, the sustainability piece, I think there's a real opportunity for colleges as well to, to freshen up the curriculum as well, because a lot of younger people yeah. want to get involved in this. You know, it's not like, I, I highly doubt if there was a, a new course at Borders College tomorrow in sustainability management, I'm pretty sure that would be oversubscribed, if that makes sense. So I think it's, it's about the demand piece as well, but as you say, there needs to be a balance. I think in college, they've got a key role to play, absolutely. But I think it's good that people see opportunities in the region as well, you know. Yeah. And even growing up in, you know, Falkirk as well, you know, 
Falkirk, I think, suffers from the fact that we're right in the middle of Glasgow and Edinburgh. So a lot of the kind of local economy gets sucked out to the cities as well. And in actual fact, that Im- impacts the town because there's not the same level of you know, jobs yeah. and opportunities there. So I think that's a really key point as well. And it's great to see that you guys are on that journey already, getting in there early doors. I mean, it's it's hard as well because what you, you the thing is, you know, I, I sit on the board of the college, you know, and, and it, I'm there because I want them, you know, you need them to succeed. Mm. You know, you know, we're there for a good reason. But one of the things I keep saying to everybody is we're all competing in the same marketplace. You know, whether you're a college, university, a business, you know, the people are the people and we want the best people and they want the best people. And the people are going to make the choices. Now, do they go to, do they earn as, earn as you learn? Or do they go to university? Or, you know, even the funding models might need to be changed. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of things, and then then you've got, you know, AI and VR. I mean, we're miles behind when it comes to that. But again, that's a political question. It's probably not for this. But in reality, if they moved, they do need to move to that kind of platform and make it relevant. Um, but who's got to make the first move? Because if they move to that platform, then that means you could be, you know, training people all over the world. But there'll be a lot of job losses at that point, and that's one of the biggest difficulties in the, you know, when you move to, you know, technology-led learning. So the, yeah. there's some there's some major challenges. There really is. But again, they've got to make good choices. It's no different to any other business. You've got to make good choices in what you've got to do in the future. So they should have plans now, looking two and three years and four years ahead, and saying, right, what's again? It's 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 like the question you've asked. What are the skills for the future? Yeah. They should already be planning for that. Yeah, I think it's, it is, listen, there's no doubt about it, I think it's difficult for, for businesses as well, you know, trying to have that foresight about what's coming as well, you know, it's very difficult to, to kind of predict. Uh, I mean, hopefully there'll be jobs in policy, otherwise I'm snookered. But, uh, you know, I think uh, coming from the kind of tech sector, I think you're, you're right. And I think one of the things that probably has held Scotland back to a certain extent in the tech piece to really embrace it is a fear of, job losses and whatnot as well. And actually, I'm not quite sure that's the case because I think what probably the bigger journey is is more upskilling and reskilling within the workforce so that people, instead of losing a job, they actually just sort of change job or pivot job, you know? Um, and I wonder, I mean, we've talked a bit there about the kind of younger people coming through and stuff like that, which is absolutely a key part of this. But how important is it in the current workforce, you know, like yourself and your team and others, how important is it that we all as individuals continue to go on that journey throughout as well and that we all continue to develop ourselves and learn as well? Um, is that something that's kind of right up there as well in terms of importance? We're doing a lot of that at the moment. So, you know, we're putting people on um, sustainability courses and, you know, we're including them in meetings where they would not normally be in meetings before where we've got, we know we've got people there that are very high, you know, highly skilled in what they do and you know they've got a really good knowledge base on sustainability or net zero or green technology where you know we're starting to introduce people into those conversations even um for instance on the 22nd of december last year we got all the key managers in and we just we did a massive um piece on carbon accountancy and scope one scope two scope three then we presented a lot of solutions and then we went down the route of like, listen, can you have you got guys got any ideas? Can you take this back to the, the you know, people you manage and you, you know, tell them about it? And 
basically you've got a captured audience in, in the workforce where you can actually say, right, this is the journey we're going on. Um, but again, as a responsibility piece, self-development's a big, big thing. I'm, I'm learning every day. You know, I'm learning every day in the sustainability piece, you know, net zero. Um, but you've got to have that drive to go and learn it as well. So you need people actually just to, you know, get off their couches or get off and spend a little bit, a little bit extra time putting some like almost like a self-educated piece in themselves. We can't keep spoon feeding people either. So you, you, what you're starting to see now with the sustainability thing, because it's slightly different. Once one person sees somebody doing it and they, they go and tell somebody else, you, you, we're getting the questions now, can I go on that course? Mm. Can I do this? Can I do that? You know, we encourage them all to say, right, listen, we'll, we'll supply as many or as much as or as little self-development in the company as you want. But to do the self-development piece, you've still got your job to do. Yeah. At the same, you know, so it, it takes a level of you give something back and all we ask for is time. And we'll put you on any course we can we can find that we think's relevant. Mm. Um, but if you take you're on about that. Um, I mean, if you look at what EY's just done, you know, the, the ten thousand sustainability consultancies or whatever they're going to have. I mean, the reality is they've got to, to do that. They've got to have to second people from other positions. There's no two ways about it because there, there just isn't the amount of people there to actually with that level of experience or knowledge. So that's that's a live example of um, not only will they second, they'll then go and headhunt people to actually train the people who have seconded yeah, to, meet, yeah, yeah. to meet the need. There's no other way There's no other way you can do it because it's it's not like you can just go and put 10,000 jobs, uh, 10,000 uh, applications out there and expect them to be filled. It's just not possible. So it is, again... This again, it comes down to you know writing the job descriptions for the future, but and and for the existing workforces, I mean we might find it in two years' time, and we are actually expecting this to happen. We reckon we'll be closing P and L lines down in our business because we'll have moved that business to another. You know, it'll just be we'll be moving the people that are in that line because it'll not be relevant anymore. Mm. And we'll be moving them onto the next, keeping the people, but moving them and reskilling them into into a different P and L line, basically. Yeah, I think that's important. That, that that's really interesting, Eddie. And um, I think that's important as well, though. And I think that removes a degree of fear from people in the sense that you know, we're, you know, being out of job and stuff. But I think there is open and honest conversations that probably do need to take place, albeit some of them may be brutal. That this job may or may not exist in sort of five to ten years as well and it's about going on that journey now and essentially we mentioned future proofing businesses but also future proofing yourself as well you know um and one of the things you mentioned there that was quite interesting was the carbon accounting piece and i wonder in previous episodes one of the kind of topics that's came up quite a bit is around sort of green procurement so you mentioned as well about the role of councils and soci and stuff and i wonder your kind of thoughts on, you know, these organisations having a kind of green procurement framework whereby if you as an SME or others who want to apply for a grant or public funding or whatever it may be, you actually need to demonstrate the criteria you need to meet. A bit like the health and safety criteria, you know, of, you know, you're doing the right thing. Where do you kind of stand on that, you know, because obviously I suspect you, know, you guys would kind of be you know, well in amongst that, but obviously certainly be a lot of businesses who are probably getting funding right now that, that maybe wouldn't hit the criteria. We've got, I think there's a, 
there's two factors there's procurement's one big subject and then you've got um obviously the policy piece in your business where you know that's where i would say we're excelling we've you know we we've we're quite robust on that um you know we've got fair work policies we've got you know we're you know we've got a sustainability pieces csr um but the smaller companies are you know they're the ones that will fall behind them because but so there are a couple of elements where you not only have we got to um hit these pieces of criteria for ourselves but we've also got to take a supply chain with us mm. because if the supply chain isn't there then you know everything will stop so you know, and some of these, you know, we're talking one-man bands and, you know, one to five employees. These companies really aren't looking at, they're too busy focused on doing the job rather than doing the paperwork that, that matters behind it. So from a carbon account, the reason we had the meeting on the 22nd was because of carbon accountancy. You know, we were saying, listen, we need to benchmark where we are right now. And then we need to be, and we know that's a huge task for, it always ends up in compliance and it always ends up in the finance department. And you can see them looking at me as if to say, as if we've not got enough work to do. <laughs> and now you're throwing in carbon accountancy at the same time. But what, the way, it, you've almost got to do a sell on it as well, even within the business. So the sell is, listen, if you if we want to trade in the future, this is what we've got to do. And if we want to be relevant in the future, and ahead of the game, and be the, the be the uh, contractor of choice, then this is what's got to set us apart. So the more you know, if we don't do this, and we're better off doing it now when nobody's looking, and getting ourselves ahead of the game and making mistakes just now. But in five years' time, we'll be in a position where other people will wish, oh, I wish I'd started that five years ago, and that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um, no. Absolutely, I think the, the piece there, what, what was really interesting, what you said is about the supply chain as well. It's all very well, you know, um, you know, I know, you know, I know you guys probably still come under, I guess, large SME or even corporates like EY and PwC. It's all very well, the sort of big players having their ducks in a row when it comes to net zero. But as you say, you know, particularly in regions such as the south of Scotland, which is a kind of more micro SME based economy. If those regions and those supply chains aren't to the kind of level, then the whole the whole economy kind of collapses around. So I think um, you know it's really important that some of the larger companies do kind of go on the journey with supply chain. So it's certainly positive that you guys are kind of doing that. Um, just in the, the last piece of the, the kind of show, Eddie, we always kind of finish on, I guess, well, firstly, aims and ambitions for the future for eco, and then the second part of that as well is where you see the kind of Scotland as a whole and our journey to kind of 2045 or indeed 2030. I mean, are we going fast enough? Where do we need to accelerate? Um, or do you have concerns that we're going too slow? So I'll let you answer that in two two stages, whatever one you want first. That's a big question. Um, I think we're going too slow. Well, way, way too slow. Um, and I probably, I don't, I don't necessarily mean that from the uh, private sector. I mean that from the public sector. Um, I think the biggest risk to the whole thing is procurement because we don't deal with the uh, public sector very often um, because, to be honest, it's an absolute pain in the jacksie. And, you know, it's easier to deal with, you know, like-minded clients and less convoluted procurement processes. Um, but 
what I would say is we've probably got a responsibility at the moment to actually engage with the public sector because we have got solutions that will help them catapult themselves to you know, the targets of 2045. So how do we do that? And that is a difficult one. At the moment, it's funny because I had a conversation, I can't really say who it was with, but I did say, the way I see things at the minute, if you, you know, I, at the time I had a cup and a cup and a glass on the table and that's all that was in front of me. And I said to them, they were like, why do you not engage with us? And I said, well, you want to buy the glass, but you keep buying the cup. And every, and if you keep doing the same things and keep wanting to tick the same boxes, you're always going to gotta buy the cup. But you want to buy the glass, so you're going to have to change the way you procure. And, the, the, uh, uh, and then I said, or oh, we're either really crap at procurement or uh, doing tenders, but I don't believe we are. Uh, I said, the honest truth is, I don't think you've written a tender that actually applies to the, the business model that we need. Mm. And, you know, it's a bit of an eye-opener because I think that's the biggest risk to the whole thing. And I think, um, and, and I mean that on even the big corporates, if they do convoluted um, procurement processes, then they've got to fall behind as well because ultimately there's got to have to be a bit of flexibility in this and a bit more of a agile mentality. Um, so if they don't get that right, I think Scotland, albeit on the face of it, is saying all the right things, all the right outlook. You know, it's a it, it can lead the world in it. There's no two ways about it. We, you know, it can be that, you know, when education here used to lead the world, it can go back to that. But until they start changing the way they are and the way they do procurement and the way they buy things, I don't think, I think they're a long way from it at the minute. And that's my biggest fear because the private sector will just go on and do it. Yeah. and make it happen but then 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 you get a bigger disconnect well i was i was going to say it as well Eddie. i think you, 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 i can see what you're saying to an extent as well because i think um you know you, you're right i mean we, there's a lot of talk about the green procurement yet but i'm actually yet to see a, a kind of what that entails you know so i, I think the green procurement piece is probably still quite a, a few years down the line shall we say um not that i'm saying companies should neglect it as such but um, I think the worry for me here, just as, as you say, is what we what we want to see over the kind of next kind of eight years to twenty thirty, if you like, is increased business and government collaboration as well, and academia as well, of course. Um, but what we don't want is that to be polarised as well. So I think, as you say, it's about bridging that gap and ensuring that government businesses are collaborating together. So, um, and I think you know, like to yourselves, are a good example of that as well. So. But, um, no, Eddie, I just want to thank you very much for your time today. I know you're an extremely busy man. It's been very insightful, as always, as well. Um, and I'll hopefully see you again very soon. But, uh, no, thanks again, Eddie, and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Well, thanks for having me. Cheers, Mark. Climate Conversations is a Herald podcast sponsored by Epson. To find out more about their environmental vision, visit epson.co.uk slash about slash environment and take 20% off an annual subscription to the Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Enter HeraldPod 2021 at your checkout and access our award-winning journalism from your mobile, tablet and PC.